My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, usually the first of the year, we kind of talk about how the last year was. Businesses, churches, organizations do annual reports and things like that. Uh, (laughs) It will be an interesting one to see how all the numbers come in. Because 2020 kind of decimated everything. And so Pastor Taylor and I want to take some time today to come back and talk about who we are as a church. Why we do what we do. And how do we relate that to the challenges in our current culture, out in the world, and even in the church? Um, I mean, some of the challenges we've had, what are they? We got racism this past year. We got politics. And and most importantly, we got COVID. That's happened, right? And, man, we've seen the lives of, is it how many? Well, 350,000 people now, as of today, that was a report this morning, have passed away uh, here in the U.S. 20 million people have contracted COVID. And... um, and so, you know, for some, it's a lot more dangerous than others. I get that report every day from the Oregon Health Authority, and it lists all the people that, as far as ages and counties. And, man, I just, I read through those names, and, or not names, but the ages, and it, it, you know, it's been really devastating for, not just for people, for the economy, restaurants, and things like that. It has been a challenging year. And for the first time in our, my life, definitely, I'm a little <laughs> bit older than you, or a lot, uh, we've had to shut down church. None of us in our life have had to shut down church. It's been really odd for us. And we want to talk about what it's done to church, like quote unquote church, church in America. A Barna is a research organization that does a lot of these stats. And this is what uh, the, the Barna Association discovered. Now this is in the process of COVID. It's not over with yet, but as we stand right now, this is what COVID has done to church participation. I know we're going to call it attendance because that might be online as well as in person. Not all churches are open and because of things we've been open and closed and things like that. And we've had to do a lot of ways to open the door and because of numbers and such. But this is total church participation. We obviously had to, I'll use the word just one time, pivot and go <laughs> online and do that. But take a look at this. Now, these are COVID-19 online church attendance among practicing Christians. So this is in the middle of the pandemic here. Only uh, 35% are still and only attending their pre-COVID church. So out of 100 people, 35 people are faithful to that church and still participating in some kind of online forum. 14% have switched churches from their pre-COVID church. I know a lot of people are going to Saddleback Community Church or to North Point Community Church, even though those are in Southern California, Atlanta, because you can do that now online. And I would have to say those communicators are much better than we are. Uh, 32 though, this is the shock right here. 32% of, now these are people that 
believe in Jesus Christ. These are practicing Christians. These are people that said they attended church at least monthly. 32% of those have not checked into a church or checked online at all. They've just stopped going to church. And some of the later Barna studies that are more recent, he said that probably those people will never come back to church again. It's like a third of people have said, you know, church is not a part of my life anymore. And then 18% are checking out every preacher under the sun and online. And I I get all that. I understand that. I listen to podcasts. So I enjoy people speaking into my life. But I think the question then comes is, why would we still be a church? If, If a third of the people said, you know, I've gotten out of the habit of church. Maybe I don't need it. Why do we even go to church? Now, I've been talking about this with pastors in the Pacific Northwest, and I've been sharing about this and thinking about this, but why does the average churchgoer attend their church? Uh, Sometimes it's because of the place, uh, because of the building or the location. It's close. I remember uh, a family years ago uh, when we were at our, 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 it was a newcomer lunch, and I asked, why did you, you know, decide to come to Sunrise? And they said very clearly, because we could walk here. We decided we were going to go to a church we could walk to. It's like, okay. That's great. You know, that might not have made it at a little house in the prairie world, but you know what I mean? It's like, but I want to be able to walk to church. That was their value because of location. But I know that when we launched the Forest Grove campus, it was because of of place. They would come 20, 25 minutes, but they wouldn't bring their friends. So we planted a church out in Forest Grove. I understand place isn't important. And sometimes it's the building. We like... uh, we like Darkened our ceilings and theaters and things like that. <laughs> Other people like architecture with stained glass, and that's great. People are attached to the place, the building itself. Um, others are personality. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, the, the preacher, the communicator, the style of the people involved. Yeah, people are attached to the communicator. You know, they go to a church based off of someone whose style they like or who they connect with. And that really, for them, becomes the reason why they go to that church or go to church in general. Yeah, maybe so. that person is a good Bible teacher, really dynamic. I mean, again, I hear a lot of people, oh, I listen to that person. Why? Because of that person. Because I connect to the way they share, they encourage me, or they've comforted me, or they've challenged me, right? Uh, Programs. Let's talk about programs. Man, churches have a ton of them. Yeah, we have a ton of programs. People come because of our outreach programs. We had the shelter we had here for years, the food pantry, the clothes closet. People would come because they need help, or they need to be served, or they need all those things. And so they'd come in. Might be our youth program. Might be our kids. Might be um, our Financial Peace University. Could be any of those programs that reach people right where they're at, and they're going, hey, I want to come because you guys offer this, because you do this. And also people. I mean, the ones around you. You, you develop a relationship with people in this community of faith. And you're tied to, you're tethered to those people. When you think about church, you think about that because that biblical metaphor is real. We're a family. Now, all of those are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But as I think about those things, I wonder how many of those things really have to do with what Jesus said we're to be about and what we're to do. Because you could have, and we have in our culture had, all of these related to other kinds of groups. Um, I like to read, and and every once in a while, uh, an author will update their book, and I'll buy the new version of it, and they suckered me out of more money, you know what I mean? But one of the books that I read years ago was called Bowling Alone, and in Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam was talking about how our culture has changed from a community culture to an individual culture. Think about this. Back in the day, 
Back in the day, we used to have what, like Elks Clubs, the Lodges. We used to have um, Kiwanis. Uh, the Freemasons were a big group, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, community groups, uh, bowling leagues. Um, I mean, some of the, just the country club mentality, right? And people would attach themselves to a group in the community and feel a part of that. And whatever that was, maybe it was a bunch of gearheads. That's what I grew up with. A bunch of people that like to work on cars, you know, greasers or something like that. You would find book clubs, community clubs, gathering groups that helped you form an identity. But in the last 20 years in particular, all of those groups have just been decimated with the numbers. They're in decline. You're not gonna find people signing up to the Rotary Club these days. You're not. People no longer need, quote unquote, need those groups because they've found what they need in isolation. Now, I don't think that's true, but that's what our online world has done. Look at this quote from uh, the, the update here of Bowling Alone. Our modern technology has encouraged people to spend their leisure time on their own rather than with other people. Now, sure, people still play soccer, football, or baseball, things like that, frisbee golf. They do that. But by and large, our modern culture has allowed people to live their life on one of these things. We can go on Facebook, we can go on Instagram, we can go on social media, we can do all of this, and we can, we can play video games, we can be in groups with this. And so our modern culture, our online culture has allowed us to basically live life alone. Social media allows people to feel like they're in a kind of community, but they don't actually have deep relationships with them. Ironically, social media was supposed to bring us closer together, but it's driven a wedge between us because people can keep their distance from behind the keyboard. Um, I mean, think about what has happened with the online Facebook and things like that, just with our political and our racism issues of this last year. People are spouting their thoughts and ideas, and it's driving a wedge. Yeah, it's connecting people of a like mind, of a, an echo chamber mentality, but it's not drawn us together in true community. Well, even with our younger generation, we've had, you know, we see mental illness be a huge factor of that. And there's been real studies that show it related to our social media and what's going on there. And so it's not just, it's not just an adult level, but it's, it's everywhere how we're experiencing it. And while we know it's a tool for ministry, it can also be a double-edged sword. Because so. we've all seen, you know, and I get it, we've all seen moms in frustrations in the supermarket hand their smartphone to a three-year-old kid just to pacify them, right? Yeah. We've all seen that. And our younger, our very youngest ones are growing up with FaceTime as a screen thing. And it is cha- it's literally rewiring our brains and how we think and how we relate to one another. Yeah. Now, could it be that the average churchgoer, that 32, 33% third of church, have decided, I don't need that social club called Sunrise Church or whatever church anymore? I think so. I think they've said and they've decided that I don't need that as a part of my life. Now, in March, uh, this last year in 2020, in fact, it's kind of funny, I became the executive director of CB Northwest or Church Venture Northwest, we're calling it now. And my first day on the job was at Seaside. It was a, it was a Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, and the, the night before the governor had shut the state down. And we go up to the convention center and the doors are locked. I'm like, welcome to my first day at Church Venture Northwest, okay? <laughs> Leading 247 churches in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska, one in Montana, one in Northern California. 
And, and so my whole journey in that, apart from Sunrise, has been getting to know pastors, traveling around, visiting, hanging out with people, being online, you know, being in community with them, getting into some pastoral coaching groups. And I have discovered that a lot of pastors are hurting and struggling, and they're wondering about what life is all about. One of the first things I did with all of these groups, and as many pastors who would, who would show up, is I asked them to put together a basic idea of what their church looks like. And I'm going to use this. This is the graphic I used here. This is a, called a program life cycle. And you could use this for anything. This is a person. This is a middle-aged man lying down. He's uh, in the middle there with the belly. Um, or, but this is basically a business. Or a new dad, James. Or, or a new dad. That's right. That's right. Um, or a mom before she's given birth. But, but think about this. This is a basic, a basic bell curve. We all know this in so many ways in life. But in the life of the church, this is what I've seen, and this is what pastors have revealed over and over and over again about their church. That a church starts, and, and Sunrise started in 1980 from, as, a, as a growth and, and a birth of First Baptist Church downtown here. 1980, we grew and we exploded. There was birth. There was excitement. We were booming. We reached about 360 people or so in those first six years, and then because of some some chaos and struggles, we tapered off and we started to decline. And then we were down to about 158 people. We were somewhere over in that declining, dying sounds really, really negative. I understand that. And it's hard to sit down with a church member and say, is your church dying? Nobody wants to admit that, right? But as I've looked at church after church and sat down with pastor or elder group after group, people are coming to terms with the fact that their church has either plateaued or is in decline and has been in decline so many years that they actually are starting to be ready to say, I think we either need to close or rebuild or revitalize or rebirth our church. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I don't know if you have another church experience, you could see this or you see churches. I, we've been in conversation with two other churches locally that are considering closing and merging with us because they're either admitting that they're dying or the leaders are admitting that they're dying and they know that they can't keep going on. And COVID has, in some churches, decimated finances, decimated attendance. And so churches are saying, what are we all about? Yeah. I think one of the things that you always talk about and do such a great job with us as staff is, man, it's like, how do we continue to move the bell curve? You know, it's not like we can get in the booming area we can get comfortable. We can get really like back off of the gas and go, man, we can lose sight of the mission, which is why we're kind of talking what we're talking about today. But really, how do we move the bell curve? So it continues to be that we're, we're going for what it means to make disciples and follow Jesus. Well, and that's good, Taylor, because that's exactly what I've been doing with pastor after pastor and church after church since March is asking the question, did you forget the original mission of the church? Or did you become a social club? And, and I'm, all, I'm all for social clubs. I love that. That's great. Okay. I want to get together with people that ride Harleys and work on old cars. I want to do that, right? I, I need to get together with people like to run and work out, but I haven't found that group that will accept me yet. Um, but, but, but the fact is, is that I'm, I'm all for that. But we're church, right? What did we do in our Western American culture that turned church into more like a, a Jesus social club? Well, we forgot the mission. Like you said, this is what the mission is. Jesus says in Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teach these new disciples to obey all the commands they've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is the preeminent passage, I believe for all churches it should be, but for Sunrise Church, is that we have been called not to just have weekend services, not to just have small groups or youth ministries or children, whatever we're doing, you know, not to just buy a bus, not just have a building, right? But, but to make disciples, the only command in all of these words right here, the only, the only verb, the only order, marching order that Jesus gives us is to make disciples, is to disciple people. And we do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. In fact, look at this slide. This is exactly how you would lay out this verse. The command is make disciples, and, and the participles that support that are go, baptize, and teach. And so that means that we, we go see people one to Jesus. As we're going, wherever we're going, people come to faith. And then, and then we baptize. We bring them into the family of God, and we, we teach them all these things to be like Jesus Christ. And then we've made a disciple. But what are the problems with that? I mean, well, well, most of the problem is, is that we put it all on ourselves, right? We forget the greatest, the greatest person who's involved in it is where it's smashed between the sandwich. Exactly. Look at the, look at the, the two pieces of bread here. Now that you say sandwich, (laughs) I'm not hungry, but the first is I have been given all authority. I've sat with a number of leadership groups, eldership groups in churches. And I said, it sounds like so-and-so has been given all authority in your church. It sounds like the deacons have been given all authority in your church. It sounds like the matriarch has been given all authorities or the patriarch has been given all authority. It sounds like this age group has been given all authority. But according to this, Jesus has been given all authority. And if you submit to Jesus and do what Jesus, who's been given all authority, which all, by the way, in in the original language means all, there's no way to get anything other than all. That's like all heaven on earth, everywhere, right? Jesus has been given authority with that in mind. Therefore, right? Go and make disciples. And, and, and I'm with you always. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I've given you my spirit. I'll be with you. And I think the challenge for what I see is most churches and sunrise at times. And if we're not careful, sunrise in five years or 10 years, because we did lose it, is we forgot that Jesus had all authority and called all the shots. And we got comfortable making decisions so that it would serve our needs, right? But he's been given all authority. With that in mind, we make disciples and do everything we can to go and baptize and teach and make those disciples. And he's doing it. The power of the Holy Spirit is flowing through us to do that. But we all know churches like programs, right? I look at this like, I mean, <laughs> what, what, I mean, we all love programs, right? Yeah, we love programs. I mean, like we just mentioned earlier, we got so we have a lot of them, right? We've had a ton of them, and that's the beauty of it is that it brings people that, as you said, clubs, right? Beforehand, where it's like, man, people of similar interests, people who are struggling with their finances, people who have kids, people who are looking to be on mission, all these things that bring us together. That's why we love programs. But the church was not made to be programs. And if we get too careful, if we get too, as you say, just comfortable, complacent where we're at, this is what our church looks like. It's just a bunch of programs that we offer instead of really what we're called to do. Yeah, and I, I've been pastor for over 25 years, and I'll tell you this uh, it, here at Sunrise is that people want programs. I get it. People come with needs. You know, I, I, I struggle with this. So do you have a program for me? Yes, we have programs. Or maybe we'll create a program. Or we don't have it, but another church has it. But we all need that, right? I mean, we've got parents with little children. We need a program for the kids. We've got youth. We need a program for the youth. So the youth pastor can fix your gnarly teenager, right? We have, we have programs uh, for men and women and, and young adults uh, for recovery. We, those are fine. Those are great. But often, and, and this is my experience is that people come to church 
wanting to know what's in it for me, where do I fit, where's my program. But if you just join a program, you could sit in that program forever and never become a disciple or grow to be more like Jesus. And so what we've done at Sunrise is, yeah, we have programs, but we've said instead of that, we want to have a pathway. The pathway that we talk about every week, take a look at this, is, 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 is to win people to Jesus, to build them up in their faith, to equip them to serve, and then to give them the leadership and to release them for that. And that's what we do. In fact, the next slide shows you the difference between the two kinds of churches. And in my experience, and that's all I'm going to say right now, as I've seen even in the last year, the majority of churches that I've witnessed and interacted with are filled with programs, but very, very, very few have an intentionality to them to where those programs help people connect, help people grow, help people serve, help people, but they could. The big, the big thing we always say is in our, in, in staff is, Hey, what are we doing to create that pathway within the ministry? I mean, programs are really good. Programs are awesome. We love them. They bring people and we've had some fan stinking tastic programs here over the years. What did you say? Fan sneaking. T- is that what my father-in-law says? I don't know. I, I, I thought that's where this was that's going. There's an Ericism. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that for us is we're really intentional about what does it mean to create that pathway within the ministry, within the program? Because programs are good, but if you're just sitting there and you're consuming and you're stuck in that program, man, we want you to move forward. And so one of the ways we'll look at is we'll just take our group's ministry, for instance. You may show up and we say, hey, just participate, just participate, show up to the group, read the study, do whatever it is at at your level of interest. But then all of a sudden you might get invited or asked to maybe just do the prayer request, right? Like that's the next step in it. And then maybe the step after that's like, Hey, you're going to host it at your house because you actually have that big open living room, which means you got to clean and do all that stuff, which we all know is uh, a lot. And then you move into, Hey, maybe I'm going to co-host or co-lead the group, um, with them and then eventually become the lead. So it's, it's a pathway within the group's program. We don't want you to just be right where you're at because we understand it's the next step that Jesus is calling you to, which helps you really experience your skills and your giftings and so many of those things um, in your own life. And so we just don't want you to be stuck within the program. We want you to move forward in it. Programs are good, but they got to have pathways. So for example, I'm going to pick on Heather Brown because I love Heather and she's so fun to pick on. Um, And so Heather has been with Sunrise before me. She's the oldest staff person. In fact, she's, I think she's the oldest person at Sunrise. I'm going to, if she's watching online, she can jab me later on. I I love Heather, but here's what I see. I see her model this intentional pathway. In, in, in the area. So, so she has been over Grief Share Ministry. Grief Share is a great ministry. If you've lost someone, uh, if, if you've, someone's close to you, you're experiencing that grief, you're walking through it. In a community, uh, you, you walk this process. Here's what I see with Heather. First of all, people have come to faith in Jesus because of Grief Share. People find out in the community, somebody reaches out, uh, a, a, a person far from Jesus loses someone close to them, and they find community, and they receive Jesus Christ in this community. I remember just a couple of years ago, I was sitting, I was talking to somebody in the foyer there, a, a lady, young lady came in, I greeted her at the door, and I said, hey, how you doing? I'm James. She goes, yeah, I'm so-and-so. And I go, well, how can I help you with? Oh, I wanted to talk to Heather Brown. And Heather was on the phone. I said, well, just give her a seat for a minute, and I'll, uh, I'll introduce you when, you know. She goes, oh, I don't need to introduce her. I go to Heather's small group. Uh, called Grief Share. I said, well, tell me your story. She, her husband had passed away and uh, she's got a son and, um, and she found out in the area, found out about Grief Share, came, received Christ because of Grief Share. And then she started growing through that. 
And that's what she does. That's what Heather does. People grow in their faith with one another in a community. And then this is so cool. When grief shares over the 13 weeks, then there's a break and then another group starts. She pulls some of those people to help lead that and to begin serving as leaders. And ultimately, then she hands it off. And that is what Jesus did. And that's what we want to do with every one of our programs. Or we want to kill the program because it's just an end to itself. Well, I think what makes us so effective at that, James, is, and you do this so well, is just giving away the responsibility, you know, giving away authority, giving away responsibility, going back to just, you know, that sandwich we're looking at. Jesus has all, all authority, right? And so one of the big things, we give it away. You come with an idea here at sunrise, and you're like, hey, I've got a passion, and I've got, I want to do this. And if you're the one willing to lead it, we're going, hey, we want to we wanna get in that as well. We want you to understand the vision. We want you to understand what we're about, why we're doing it. But it's like, dude, you hired me at 24 years old without any experience in ministry or anything. I mean, I've been leading for, you know, within as a volunteer role, but you're so good at that. And that's one of the things here at Sunrise that I believe is a part of us is that we say, hey, we're not trying to hold on to things. We're trying to let them go. Um, and it's uncomfortable at times. We forget that Jesus handed the whole ministry over to mostly teenagers. Uh, I mean, teenagers. And most people would have gone, no, 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 you can't hand it over to them. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. They're going to advance the kingdom and they're going to make disciples. And that's what we just keep doing, right? It's just handing it over even when it's uncomfortable. Well, we, we look at it this way as our discipleship pathway. Look at this. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. We see that Jesus came alongside a, a group of young men, teenagers, and said, come and see, come and check it out. A lot of people checked. I mean, the crowds followed Jesus. But then he invited a few to follow him. Come and follow. That was his next invitation and challenge. And then, then as he was sending them out in ministry, he invited them to come and die to themselves, quit thinking of themselves at the top of the pyramid, but start seeing themselves as a servant of all. And then on that hillside that we just read in Matthew 20, he said, now it's you go and make. And the thrill of our heart at sunrise is to see you grow in this discipleship process. We are not a church that if you just want to come and sit and soak for 30 years and you keep learning stuff, that's not, Jesus did not invite us anywhere to come and learn. (laughs) Well, we to come and follow. We see the natural like attrition rate happen too. And so that's one of the things people get kind of like, well, you, you see someone come and see, but eventually Jesus would say, Hey, John six, he comes, you gotta, you gotta eat my body and drink my blood. And when they get that kind of invitation from him, basically saying, you know, Hey, here's the next step. Here's the next invitation in following me. And the crowd would go, uh, this is too much for us to understand. And a lot of the times we'll see people kind of get all the way to the grow step and they just sit there. They just sit in that spot and it's, we all need to grow. We all need to return to that in different areas of our walk with God at different moments. But if we just sit there, then we miss out on the greatest invitation that Jesus calls us to. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys have brand new baby and she's adorable. Uh, and my three boys are still adorable some days when they're sleeping, uh, you know, and I go in their room at night. And, um, and, and yet, you know, just the natural process of life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of that, is we come to the world as a baby, as an infant. And, and, and we have needs and we cry and we make messes. We get all that. And brand new believers are just like that. We love it. And yet then they begin to grow like a little child and they begin to learn and they, they run with scissors and play and they do all kinds of things with friends and they learn how to count and add and, and they learn the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? And then I love this stage. I'm an old youth pastor on this one where adolescence, where all of a sudden you realize life isn't about you. It's about others. And you start serving and it's an awkward stage because one day you want to change the world and the next day your mom's telling you to clean your room and you can't justify and work those two things out, right? But it's an awesome stage of coming and dying. And then ultimately though, ultimately 
The goal is to be a parent. We know not everybody's going to have kids. We get that. But, but that, you were born to reproduce. You were born so that at Jesus, you know, he clarifies all this, that you were born to make more. I mean, in the very beginning, the command is to be fruitful and multiply, right? That's what Jesus wants for all of us as followers of Jesus. Not to just stop as churchgoers and hire pastors to do all the work for us. It's, this is discipleship right here. Yeah, and we get well. We get a lot of people stuck right here, thinking, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay you, James, to feed me, to show me, to serve people, to do that, and then teach me, and that's good." But really, the the whole goal and the whole idea of the church and the way it's supposed to work is, we're not supposed to do the work. We, as a body, are supposed to do the work. And so you see this in Ephesians right here. Like, really, what our role is now? These are the gifts of Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ. So in other words, if we sit up here and all we do is teach and do this, that's, that's not necessarily the job. But if we're teaching and equipping you to go out and to follow the call that God has put on your life, and that's our job. We're supposed to push you towards that. That's, that's the secret sauce of Sunrise. A lot of what we like to say is because we don't, we kind of, if you start to get comfortable, we like to prod you a little bit and say, hey, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. And uh, maybe sometimes you find yourself leading. We have countless stories of people who are like, yeah, I kind of got the invitation from James to do this. Or, you know, they told me they saw this in me and I should do this. And we get people leading and out of their comfort zones and coming alive in areas where we didn't know what happened. And really, when we look back on it, we just say, this is really... Well, this is what we believe. This is what we want. This is what makes us different in a lot of ways. A lot of churches do it, but this is what makes us different is we, we try not to let you stay comfortable because we love you so much. We want you to be out there dying to yourself, understanding that that's what really brings life. Because our job, our job as, as all these leaders is not to do it for you. And I get it. There is a desire in all of us to just pay money, go to the movies and watch the movie and get the popcorn, right? I get all that. There is a desire for us to just have somebody else do the hard work. I understand all that. But that's not my job. That's not Taylor's job. It's none of our jobs. Our job is to equip you, prepare you, to, to mend whatever's broken, to set whatever's broken, to get you to the point where you're doing the ministry because that's where Jesus smiles. Not when I do it, but when you do it. Our win is not if we do it. I, I get that we're paid to do it. We're paid actually to get you to do it. And, and that's where the fall off is sometimes, because yeah. let's be honest, it'd be easier to just come to church, sit in your chair, do all the stuff and leave. And now you've experienced church. That's probably just a good religious social club. But the church is a family, is a body where we are all integrated. Every part of the body is working together and it matters. Now, uh, I, I wanted to share a specific verse on this and Taylor's going to share one, but the heartbeat for me of ministry is found in these words of Jesus in uh, Luke nine. This is one of the, the times Jesus said it. Then he said to the crowd, now this is important. I, I love crowds. I, I love groups of people, but you can't disciple a crowd. You can only disciple a person. Okay. You can't make a difference for a crowd. You can make a difference for a person, right? Jesus loved the crowds. He fed the crowds. He healed. He did all that, but he, he handed everything over to disciples. He says here, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. But if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Mm. 
Jesus' invitation, this is what hit me when I was in college, is the cost of following Jesus is true discipleship. It's not about church or church attendance. And inasmuch as a church can help make disciples, I am all in. But if a church is just about gathering people to have a church life, I don't want any part of it. And I want to help reform that. But where are you at in it? Have you picked up a cross today? Have you died to yourself? Have you laid aside your selfish desires? Doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're about yourself to think about what Jesus is given his life for. Uh, Taylor's verse is actually on the opposite. I'm the truth guy. <laughs> Taylor's the grace guy today. All right. Uh, one of my passages in being here at sunrise has always has been this invitation Jesus gives to his disciples. And you see it here in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It says, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now he's speaking to the crowd here in a sense, but saying, hey, you guys basically want, are, the religious leaders are asking you to follow the law, to make all the rules, to, to live up to this perfection. And I've come to give you a new way to live. So take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So I brought a prop because I wanted to show you guys just a little bit of how I think this works and how Jesus is trying to do this. So he's speaking to So he's to not a, talking about eggs here. He's not talking really about, nice not about yellow yolks, my, but okay. like this one right here. So this is a yoke. It's just kind of like a miniature uh, version of one, right? And Jesus is mostly speaking to this farming community. I mean, 80% of the people who listen to him are probably farmers. And when they see this, um, when they see him start talking about this, this is the imagery that's going through their mind as they see this yoke right here. And what would happen is you'd have one ox in this side and another one in this side, and they would together be, be bridled to this, and they would pull that plow to farm the fields. Well, one of the things if you knew is eventually you had to bring a young ox into the mix because eventually the old ones are going to die, right? So what they would do to train a young ox was they would put the mature one on one side and they would put the young ox on the other side. And so you would see this, basically this young ox uh, go out there and go, hey, I'm going to go 100 miles an hour for the first few hours of the farming day, which are 12-hour days, and then I'm going to be exhausted, and so that's why they would team them up. They're yoked together. They can't go that speed. They can't do that. They're with this mature ox who understands that the process is, hey, I have to go slow. It's a, it's a marathon. It's a rhythm. It's, it's a way that we have to do this um, to make it through a 12-hour day of abiding in Jesus. And so Jesus comes along. What he's saying to the people here is he's saying, hey, take my yoke upon you. I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to walk. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll teach you how to follow me. Jesus is the greatest discipler of all, and he invites us into that. And so when you look at this passage, it's really an invitation to discipleship. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. But then also beyond that, I would say in a more practical sense of who are you yoked up with in your life today? Like, I, you should be yoked to Jesus. You absolutely should be. He's going to give you rest for your soul. He's going to do that. But who are the people in your life that you are listening to, that are discipling you, that are pouring into you? Are you yoked up with them? Or is that who you are? Or maybe you're on the other side of it and you're at this lead stage or wherever it is. And you need to put someone in on the other side that you can spread some knowledge, that you can give them and teach them about your wisdom, your mistakes, your failures, or what it means to follow Jesus. And so for me, I like this invitation because I see it as a discipleship invitation. I see it as a moment where Jesus invites his disciples in the crowd into what really is going to bring life. 
Let me bring it all down because some of you are probably going, okay, where's the sermon? Um, okay, <laughs> but it's just in a couple of verses for me. In 1 John 2, 6, John, a beloved disciple, he says it this way. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian, claim to be a churchgoer, you claim to follow Jesus, you got to follow Jesus. You got to walk like him. You got to walk in his steps. And, and we've talked about steps, connect, grow, serve, lead. I guess the, the questions that I would ask are, you know, are you walking like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? Do you have a heartbeat like Jesus? Do you think like Jesus? Is there a step you need to take this year to become more like Jesus? What step is it? That God can help identify in you that you need to take to get out of comfort and onto mission is the question. And then Jesus said this in Luke 640. He said this. He said, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like their teacher. Our whole mission is to become like Jesus, to be conformed into the image of God. Now, obviously, God has a huge part in that. There's no question. But we have a huge part in that. It's a yoking together with God. And on this, when you think about this, where in your life are you like Jesus? You know, where are you at on the journey of being a fully trained disciple? What is, again, the next step that Jesus is calling you to? Because the reality is you could invite people to church all all day long. In fact, I, I just read this this last week. Take a look at this. If I invited one person, a new person to church each, each day, every day for a year, for 25 years. Okay. It, it, it each says year. each year. It's actually uh, each day for a year. I would have invited just over 9,000 people to church. That's a lot of people that I'd invite to church. But, but if instead I stop inviting people, but disciple people instead, not just attraction, but discipleship, if I discipled a new person each year, just each year, and they did the same after that for 25 years, we'd have 33 million people. Okay. Jesus is interested in multiplication. And that means that wherever you are, you're on a journey. Some of you may not even know Jesus Christ right now. You've been a part of church. You're watching online. You've been checking us out. That's great. Your step is to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He loves you. He gave everything necessary for you to be saved, to be forgiven of sin, to be renewed internally, externally, to get the best life possible. That's to connect. And then, 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 then as you connect and as you do that, then you grow. You, you've heard this before, right? Where have you heard this? Today. Okay. <laughs> then you begin to grow. That's that next step. That's discipleship. And then you begin to serve like Jesus did. Give your life away. And then you pick up that challenge of, I'm going to go do that for someone else. That is discipleship. And it took Jesus three, three and a half years with yeah. these guys. I don't know how long it takes you. It takes me a couple, two, three years with the guys that I've discipled. And usually I can disciple one or two at a time. But as I look back in my life, when one day when I pass away, I don't want to look back and go, oh, I led a church and we had this many people and we had these many programs. And, and those are all great. I want to look back at the men that I've had the honor of leading to Jesus and discipling to be like Jesus, who have also led other people to Jesus, who have discipled others to Jesus, because that is all Jesus told us to do, my friends. So would you pray with us? Yeah. Father, uh, just thank you for, just thank you for the space and this time, and thank you that Jesus has set a pathway for us to follow. He set the example. He put it before us. He showed us what it means to really spend time and rub shoulders with those around us and do life with them. And so I think the invitation to all of us today is relationship. How do we do life with other people but intentionally? And you know, we can talk about the surface level stuff. We can, we can do all of that, God. 
but I think you invite us into something so much deeper, so much more profound, Lord, because you want rest for our souls. You want to speak to the heart and the soul of who we are. And so, God, we just invite you in. We invite you to give us the invitation, whether that's to come and see, to come and follow, to come and die or go and make. I think we kind of know as we look at the pathway where each one of us stands in this process. And so I'd say just help us take the step that we need to take this year. Maybe 2021 can be the year where we take that step. That we can stop sitting around and waiting and 2020's kind of felt like we're just sitting here and doing nothing, God. But 2021 will be the year where we actually take a step and we see you show up. And so, God, I just pray that for any of those out there right now that need to take that step, that you would show them how to do that, that you would show them which class to be involved in, which you would show them to look for an opportunity, Lord, because you, you have them all right in front of us. You're inviting us into your work every single day. But it is us who has to say yes. It is us who has to come forward and go, Lord, we want to join you. And so, man, make our hearts soft. But also remember that the greatest invitation of it all is that we will experience life. And that's eternal life, but that's also what we're after right now when we disciple people, when we, when we follow others before us, and most importantly, follow you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.